Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2. Part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we're doing a baseball show this week, and I'm excited about it. You know, look, you know how much I love talking about spring training, pitchers and catchers, but guess what? We have a catcher. So instead of us talking about pitchers and catchers, let's talk to the catcher, Garrett Stubbs. Let's go. All right, let's bring on to the show, Jeff. Let's get some baseball talking with spring training about to start. San Diego kid himself, Garrett Stubbs. Garrett, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, we're fantastic. You gave us something to enjoy last season, which we'll certainly get to talking about in a minute. I, I wanted to start with... You had experience when you were young growing up as a San Diego kid with Tony Gwynn getting some hitting lessons and experience. I found that fascinating. Can you tell us about what that was and how that impacted you and still does? Yeah. um, Well, first of all, I was lucky enough to have Tony Gwynn in my backyard at San Diego State um, when he was a coach there. And I would go down and watch games and uh, watch him coach and do his thing. And, uh, my mom and my grandmother are, uh, real estate agents in San Diego and try to do charity work wherever they can. And, um, one of the charities was Tony Gwynn's, uh, charity. And, uh, one of the, uh, packages was a, a, uh, hitting lesson with Tony Gwynn and my grandmother and mom, knowing how much I loved the sport of baseball, uh, jumped on that as much, as much as they could and ended up getting in. I was able to take uh, a hitting lesson with him down at San Diego state. Um, of course, the way he talks about hitting is, is, uh, unlike any other because of how simple it was, which is kind of where my, uh, fundamentals and roots of my swing came from. So, uh, an experience of a lifetime, no doubt, uh, especially, uh, having him pass later on, uh, at kind of an early age, it was, pretty cool to be able to have a relationship with him in in addition to try to soak in what he's trying to teach you knowing that he's one of the greatest hitters in the game are you just in awe at that point that tony gwynn is giving you a baseball lesson yeah i don't know if i said more than 15 words you know every time he said something for me to either do or talk to about a story about him hitting it was yes sir no sir a laugh uh pretty incredible I think I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, uh, maybe, maybe a year older than that, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around that age. So, uh, being able to just listen to him talk, it was ears open, mouth shut and listening to, uh, the greatest hitter of all time. Talk about the way he swung the bat. All right. So at 11 or 12 year old gets a lesson from Tony Gwynn. Did you have a hitting coach in your on your little league team, and did you sit there and say to him, "I'm not listening to you because I just Tony <laughs> Gwynn"? <laughs> yeah, I I didn't have any. You know, baseball nowadays is so much different than it was when I was growing up. Uh, hitting coaches didn't even exist, really. You know, it was kind of like you just went out there and played little league and figured it out. So uh, to even have a hitting lesson, uh, let alone it be with Tony Gwynn, was uh, yeah, it's tough to listen to anybody else once Tony starts speaking. So you end up at USC to play your college ball where you're named the nation's best catcher one year and you end up in the Houston system. We've talked to a lot of minor league players. We always enjoy the stories of the the struggle to get there, the long bus rides. Anything stick out? One of those long rides, one of those stories that that sort of personifies the journey for you to get to the I mean, sheesh, man. There's so many of them. Uh, 
And it, I mean, for most guys, it starts even, it can start even in summer ball in college. I remember having a, my first 14 hour bus ride from Kenai, Alaska up to Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, absolutely miserable. And, you know, the coaches who are past players talk about, you know, get used to it if you're going to go play pro ball. Uh, and then going into pro ball, I <laughs> had the luxury of playing in the Texas league where it was uh, 90 some degrees with 90% humidity every day. And we're on bus rides after the game at 1130 and, and getting into our next place from Corpus Christi to, you know, wherever it may be Midland, Texas, or up in Arkansas. And we're getting in at 9.00 AM, 10.00 AM sleeping until one or two o'clock. And then you're at the field later that day, ready to play another game. But we had a good group of guys and uh, John Singleton was on our team at the time. And he was quite the character, if you know that name. So he, uh, the he bus rides the were Blue Claws at one point. That's right. Yeah. So he, there were plenty of moments throughout those uh, bus rides. Some of which I could tell the story, some of which would uh, not be appropriate for other people to know, but <laughs> uh, you know, that's part of the minor league uh, experience and kind of prepares you for, uh, the big leagues and, um, you know, getting to know your teammates. You know, we've had other players on that have talked about this Alaskan league and what it's like to play when you, when you have all those hours of sunlight, what is it about that Alaskan league that makes people go up there? Well, I tell you what, I did not want to go up there when I was first invited. It was not something that I was interested in. Uh, I wanted to play, but, uh, I had heard the bus rides. I'd also, you know, uh, Alaska is not the first choice for a San Diego kid, uh, to, uh, spend his summer. So, uh, going up there, it was ended up being one of the best experiences I ever had. You know, I'm playing baseball at seven o'clock at night of which it looks like it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then after the games, uh, I was with one of my buddies, Nigel Newbar from USC. He was on the team with me. So, uh, we would go fishing at two, three in the morning, and still light out and we would catch however many fish we could, which was a ton at that time, July and Alaska for salmon fishing is incredible. So then we'd go home, sleep until about two or three in the afternoon and play again. So you go through the Astros farm system where, by the way, your younger brother gets drafted into the same time that you get called up on your 26th birthday to play for the Astros. Talk about that experience of having him in the organization with you and then getting that 26th birthday present of, Hey, welcome to the majors. Yeah. So it was my, uh, 26th birthday on the 26th and getting called up to the big leagues and we're in Nashville. So I couldn't have thought of a better place to be in to celebrate, uh, getting called up to the big leagues. Uh, we, you know, had drinks and, once again, one of those stories that maybe stays to myself, <laughs> at least for the time being, but, uh, incredible time to be called up. Uh, you know, anybody's, uh, call up story is going to be borderline the best moment of their life. Uh, so for it to be on my birthday, for it to be in Nashville, fun place to hang out and, uh, party. And it was an incredible moment. And then, you know, four years later or not four years later, it would have been, uh, maybe later that year. Uh, my brother gets drafted, uh, by the Astros and unfortunately because of COVID and all the PA, 
you know, uh, negotiations and all that. I never got to play spring training with him. Uh, but, uh, hopefully in the future we play against each other in the big leagues and, uh, possibly with each other sometime. You know, the Astros, when you were, when you moved on to the Phillies referred to you as the ultimate hype man. Yeah. Why? Uh, I just, I love getting the best out of people at all times of the day, uh, whether it be their personality or uh, physically on the field as a player. Uh, I kind of think of myself, you know, I'm not getting the most playing time out there. Uh, so in order for me to make an impact on guys, I just try to make sure that they're in their best mood going out on the field. And sometimes for some people, it's getting pissed off. You know, sometimes they play their best when they're pissed off. Uh, but yeah, Ultimate Hype Man was created by uh, some of the writers there in Houston. Uh, just kind of noticing the way that I reacted to certain situations uh, in the game from the bench. Uh, I love being a, a teammate of, of these guys in the big leagues. And uh, the Phillies this year, my teammates were bar none the best I could ask for. All right. Well, for this World Series team that you just played for, who was the person that you had most fun hyping up? Jeez, man. Uh, Reese Hoskins was definitely a huge one. Uh, obviously, Harp had some huge moments. Uh, you know, Castellano, I, I could go on a list of each guy and what different things they did throughout the, the postseason. Schwarber's obviously one of the best locker room guys out there. So, any any interaction and fun with him is, you know, at the top, but I would say Reese watching him hit some of those big homers, especially against Atlanta. Um, he just had some huge games and knowing that he has kind of been Mr. Philly, as far as the rookie coming up through the organization, watching him get into his first postseason, having success, uh, you know, that's as good as it gets. So uh, yeah, watching him bat spike and, and and uh, putting us, giving us leads was was really fun. You know, you talk about home runs. Don't sell yourself short. Down one, down your final strike, slider with two strikes. They had a walk-off three-run homer against the Marlins. Talk about that experience for us. Yeah, I was my own hype man on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the full experience of hitting a walk-off home run I'd never ex- uh, had in my life. I've, ne- I've hit walk-off hits. Um, but never any walk off homers. I'm not a huge Homer guy to start with. Uh, but just to be in that opportunity, uh, to give us a chance to even prolong the game. Schwarber was hitting right after me. So I'm up there just grinding my nuts off, trying to get Schwarber to the place so he can hit a Homer and end this game. Uh, it just so happened that I got a good pitch to hit and end up hitting it over the right field fence. And from then it was basically, genuine mayhem going on inside me of a blackout type moment where I'm looking at the dugout and I'm seeing all those guys, you know, probably looking at me like, what the, did he just do that? You know, not expect, I don't think anybody in the stands was expecting that, uh, in the dugout. I promise you, I wasn't either, but, uh, genuine mayhem going on inside. And it was probably up there for, I probably is the best personal, uh, moment for me in my career. Pretty incredible. You get a pretty cold Gatorade bath afterwards. Uh, I know you don't normally watch back your home runs, but have you listened back to any of the amazing calls or watched that one back with the reaction that you had? 
Yeah, that one was tough not to watch back. Uh, <laughs> I, like you said, watching back my other homers and whatnot, not exactly something that I do all the time. But uh, that one was definitely one that will stick around, I hope, uh, for years to come for Philadelphia. It was a time in the season where we weren't exactly at our best. And playing a Marlins team that is, you know, a lot of the time underestimated. It's a very good ball club over there, especially pitching staff. Uh, but for us to win that game at that time of the season, I think uh, was a propeller for us forward going on and kind of giving us confidence that it doesn't matter who's up at the plate uh, one through nine, we're always able to have a chance to win a ball game. You know, as we watched you guys go through the season, one through 25, it just looked like you guys were having a great time together. Like, it, you know, when you think of baseball, you think of, of a game, even though it is a profession, and you guys looked like you were playing a game. What was it about that team that made it, at least from the outside, look like you guys were having so much fun? Yeah, there's just incredible personalities going on in that locker room. And, you know, I don't, I can't speak for years prior um, to last year. Um, I know that maybe those teams weren't exactly the same vibe that we had this year, but we had, you know, some really good signings this year and the personalities that got into that locker room, you know, starting with Schwarber, uh, definitely one of the guys that leads the culture in the locker room. And I think everybody just meshed well and understood that everyone just be yourself, whatever that may be, be yourself. And whatever that is, you know, go out there, do that. And it'll probably bring the best out in you as a player out on the field. And we all enjoyed watching everybody enjoy their individual successful moments, which ended up turning into huge team moments. And we had success with it. And obviously early on, there wasn't as much success, but I think that even the message from the players in the locker room, it never wavered as far as the confidence that we had in ourselves and each other. Uh, we just needed that one moment to be able to uh, start moving forward and, and winning ball games. So uh, the culture couldn't be any better. It's going to be the same type of vibe this year. I know that everyone loves it. whether they're a Philly fan or not. I heard from people, friends and family and people I had never even met before that are Phillies fans or not Philly fans talk about how much fun they had watching us as a team. And um, I'm looking forward to bringing that same exact vibe uh, back to the 2023 season. You know, as a, as a Phillies fan and watching this team, one of the memorable moments that we all had was when Reese Hoskins hits that home run and spikes that bat. What was that like in the, in the dugout when he did that? I mean, I could scream right now, just kind of bringing me back to that moment. And uh, yeah, don't forget the bat spike being invented in Philadelphia. That's going to be a Philadelphia staple from here on out. Uh, and watching him go up in that moment, like I said earlier, uh, him coming up through the system as a rookie, having a very successful rookie season and continuing to have that success, uh, but not being able to get to that postseason to you know, really play on one of the biggest stages in baseball. Uh, finally watching him get to be on that stage and having that success. It was, you know, it's, as, it's really as good as it, as it gets being a homegrown, homegrown guy and finally bringing your team in your city that you came up with that moment. I'm sure that he kind of had those same kind of feelings uh, that I had during the walk-off and harp had during his Homer against the Padres uh, it's easy to feed off the Philadelphia fans, 
uh, when you have big moments like that. You know, one of the players that you get to watch up close and work with closely is JT Real Muto. Uh, talk about what you've learned, not only the way he prepares, both how he studies and plays the game, but what he does to prepare his body for that position. He's a freak, man. He is an absolute freak. Uh, I would, you know, I, I'm sure when his career is over, hopefully in a long, long time, uh, people are going to look back at what he's done as a player and talk about whether he's the greatest catcher of all time. And that's an incredible conversation to be a part of. He's already had such success at the position and proved uh, that he can do things that quite simply every other player cannot do. And one of them being like, you're talking about his body and being able to catch as many games as he can. Uh, but it's not even just the number of games that he catches. It's the success that he can have while doing that is just incredible for him to be able to hit the way he does still have the pop times and accuracy, the way he does throwing down a second, all the meanwhile, having the personality to lead a pitching staff. Uh, he's the best in my opinion, uh, to possibly ever do it. And I know he's got a lot more years to go. Uh, so I'm just excited to be able to work with him every single day while he goes out there and, and proves to be one of the best of all time. Well, Garrett, before you head back to, to Philadelphia for, for this season, you get to have another experience that we'd all wish for, which is playing in the world baseball classic. What's that like for you playing the world baseball classic and representing Israel? So I've heard from years past, uh, the energy that's flowing through those stadiums during the world baseball classic is unlike any other. And I believe it when people, you know, especially Latin American countries, uh, get behind their team and are able to watch the players that came off of, uh, their country's land, go out there and have success and play, you know, there's no Olympics for the base for baseball. So, uh, you know, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, uh, Venezuela baseball is borderline the biggest sport in those countries. So these are really fun times for countries like that. And I know Israel too, uh, they've had success, uh, in the past of which I haven't been a part of, but watching them play in years prior, uh, for the world baseball classic, and now getting the opportunity to join them in that success is going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, we got our work cut out for us with, Venezuela, Dominican, and and Puerto Rico and Nicaragua all in the same bra bracket, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, watching Ian Kinsler play, uh, incredible player. Uh, Brad Osmus is going to be one of the bench coaches, also an incredible player. Uh, actually, a guy that I, you know, modeled myself after, knowing that he wasn't exactly the biggest guy in the room, uh, but also a catcher, leader on the field, uh, and successful. So. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun to pick those guys' brain. Uh, Jock Peterson and Kevin Pillar are playing um, some pretty big names in baseball. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see the uh, fans, uh, both from Israel and the other teams, and what they bring to the stadiums. So it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I know people around the world will really enjoy watching all these countries uh, fight for that championship. You know, you talk about the fans. Israel has really utilized this WBC to kind of grow the sport over in Israel to build fields 
off of it. You, I've seen you talk about um, Jewish people stopping you in the stands and on, on the street and, and kind of recognizing it. What's it mean for you to, to be a role model for them, for people who may be interested in baseball or who may want to see you and learn how to play it over in Israel or here to, to be that guy? Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. You know, the Jewish community isn't exactly known for their athletes yep. uh, in any sport. I, I'm but one of none of them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so baseball is, is, seems to be the one sport where we, you know, at least do have a number of Jewish players out there uh, it, at the highest level in the major leagues. Uh, you know, I don't know about basketball and football being much of a, a strong Jewish sport. So we've got baseball and there's a lot of players around the league. You know, Alex Bregman's one that I wish he was playing for team Israel this year. I'm sure he'd have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I know Harrison Bader was going to be one that was going to join and play, but uh, ended up not being able to, but it's cool, you know, especially in Philadelphia, a very Jewish community uh, being able to walk out on the field and Jewish people, whether it be kids, parents, or both, uh, you know, kind of look at me as a role model in the Jewish community to be able to show them that, you know, Hey man, keep working hard, especially somebody like me who's undersized and doesn't exactly have the talent that a, you know, a Bryce Harper or a JT real Muto has, but you know, I worked my butt off my whole life to be able to be in a position like this. So I hope there are kids, you know, Jewish or not, uh, that do look out there and understand that if you put the work in and, and, uh, you know, are disciplined in the work that you are putting in, you know, anything's possible. So, uh, it is fun to be able to have those conversations with those young players. Cause I remember being one in the stands and, you know, even just away from a big leaguer at that time was, you know, one of the coolest moments. You know, one of your front office guys, Sam fold was involved in team Israel before. Have you had a chance to talk to him about it and what the experience is like? Yeah, no, I did because I had to ask, you know, if they were okay with me going and, uh, playing in the WBC and, uh, as soon as we ha- the conversation even started, both Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold were at- jumped all over it. We're absolutely go do it. It's an experience of a lifetime. Uh, you know, Fold had done it prior. And so he said, absolutely. It's something that you'll always remember. And he said that when he played, it was, uh, you know, besides different moments in his big league career was something that he is so happy that he did. Uh, and will be one of the the memories that he'll hold with him. All right. So I got to ask, there's going to be some changes this year, rule changes. For As a catcher, is it helpful or th- does it not matter to you that they have the pitch clock now? We're going to find out. Uh, you know, back in double A, they had a pitch clock. Um, and I don't know if the timing was the same when uh, we did it in double A but I wasn't exactly a huge fan of it at that time. Uh, but you know, things change, uh, whether it be other rules or the pitch clock things in the sport will evolve over time. There will be something two, three, four, five, ten 10 years from now. That's different than the way it is now. So we're going to have to adapt. Um, I'm hoping that all the players stay healthy during these changes with, you know, the bigger bases, um, the game being sped up, you know, we've been playing this game one way for our whole lives. So it is going to be an adjustment for a lot of players. And I also hope that the league is, you know, has some leeway with us too, because there's going to need to be a grace period of players getting used to doing this. Nobody wants to get injured out there. And quite frankly, when 
the game is getting sped up, uh, you know, a lot of players use that time to take a breath and also think about what pitch they're going to throw. So um, I hope the quality of the game stays the same. I hope the quality of the player stays the same uh, because we've been playing a very, very good brand of baseball this last 10 years. And I think people have really enjoyed all the incredible players. I mean, you can go around the league and talk about uh, generational players on multiple teams. So I hope it all uh, works out and I hope players can make adjustments and I hope the league, um, you know, shows some grace while we are making those adjustments. You know, you talk about the quality of the game, the, the quality of the game that we got to see here in Philadelphia during the World Series run, during the playoffs, the atmosphere that you got to play in front of. I'm just wondering if you could talk to people about just what that was like. Jeff was in the crowd for some of those games. I'm watching it come through the TV. What's it like for a player to be in the middle of that moment? Whoa. Uh, it's uh, unlike any other, you know, humble brag here. That was my third world series that I had gotten to be a part of as a player. And I have never been to, or been at our home park. And when I was with Houston, where the fans were as engaged as they were in Philadelphia, it is an atmosphere. Unlike any other, I think in sports, um, I'm, you know, we went to a couple Eagles games this year. We ended up getting to go to a Monday night football game as players. Um, also an incredible atmosphere. Uh, the world series is unlike any other, uh, stage in any sport. Uh, you got seven games of guys going after it, going traveling back and forth. And every time we got to play in Philly, whether it was in the world series or, NLCS or DS or wild card, you know, we didn't get to play in Philly, but those other series uh, going back to Philadelphia was the most exciting part of every single one of those series, because we knew what those fans were going to bring to the stage. Uh, and it, there wasn't a night that they didn't bring it uh, with noise, with being engaged. I can only imagine what it was like to be in uh, that opposing dugout. Uh, as a player, it, <laughs> I can't imagine it was very fun listening to uh, Philadelphia fans absolutely give it to you for three and a half hours uh, during a playoff game. And as you had in your suit, dancing on my own, what, what was it like to see that people were singing it in the stands and, and I, I was on a subway car and everybody was singing it there? What was it like to have this song adopted because you guys were playing it? And by the way, who's responsible for that? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it was, it was awesome to see the engagement from the fans and how much they pay attention. You know, you can have a fan base that comes out during a playoff game. Of course, you know, it's, it's the playoffs. There's going to be people there, but how engaged they were and how much they paid attention throughout the year to players, to things like our win song, uh, I think it got popular because uh, one of the reporters, Alex, she tweeted out me going to the uh, iPad to change one of the songs. And all of a sudden I looked down at my Spotify and there's 6,000 people following my Spotify playlist. Uh, a couple of days goes by and there's 12,000, a couple more days and 15 and 20. And it was pretty cool to see the whole city rally around our win song uh, walking off those, uh, walking off the field after those wins and hearing it playing throughout the stadium and the whole, 
the whole stadium singing along with it. Uh, I don't think anybody who was at those games will ever forget that. Uh, the 2022 season with the Philadelphia Phillies, I think as far as personality goes and the memories that were made during the regular season and the postseason, although we didn't win the last game, I think people will always remember that season. You know, people say they don't, nobody ever remembers the second place team, but in this scenario, I think uh, all Philly fans will, will remember that moment. I don't think there's any better place to leave it with Garrett Stubbs as we get ready for the 2023 season and he heads to spring training. Garrett, we hope to be able to keep in touch with you. This was awesome. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate you guys having me on. Good luck with the World Baseball Classic. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, great to be back on the radio with Pat McCarthy, who was our Iron Pigs guy that ain't going to be our Iron Pigs guy no more. Pat McCarthy, you got a new gig now. You're busy. Yeah, it's uh, it's first of all, it's great to talk to you guys. I, I always love when we get a chance to talk right before spring training, but it's uh, yeah, it's to be a little bit different now. Not getting a chance to talk pigs like we have in years past, but uh, you know, still still excited for. You know, talk a little New York Mets and uh, NL East baseball. All right. Well, before we get to the big league stuff, tell us a little bit about uh, your Iron Pigs days and, and what you'll remember most about your time down there. Oh, man. Just, you know, from a personal perspective, so much, right? So 2018, I go to Lehigh Valley for the first time and, and I'm a 23-year-old kid and I'm a year and a half out of college and just... I grew so much, not just as a person, but as a broadcaster in my time in Lehigh Valley. And you know, it, it's it's a time which is going to be really special for me just because of, you know, I, I had my, my then girlfriend, Emily, with me at the time, now my wife, and, you know, how much we've, how much personally I feel like I've grown since then and, you know, how much I've grown as a broadcaster. I mean, the Iron Pigs gave me an opportunity to eventually get to Philadelphia to, to call games at the big league level for the first time. And, and I made friendships up there and connections up there that I will have for the rest of my life, my life. And without them, I, I don't know if I would have had the experiences that I have. I, I owe so much to them. And, and it was such a special time in the years from 2018 to 2022 are, are going to be ones that I'll never forget, whether that was my first time in, in AAA or my first time going on the road full-time or dressing up like Winnie the Pooh and Shaggy when we have character drive-throughs during the canceled 2020 season to, you know, ultimately getting the chance to call Major League Baseball the first time in 2021 and then continuing that in 2022. So the, the Pigs are always going to have such a special place in my heart and, and allowed me to grow up. You know, you talk about friendships. So we have had the the honor to to spend time with you and Mike Ventola together and apart for for years now. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed, especially in watching the Super Bowl and seeing how Greg Olson works with his partner, is how important it is to have a good partner and to have a rapport. What was it like to work with Mike Ventola, and what are you looking forward to as you move forward with the Mets and and how you're going to deal with them? Sure. Uh, Mike, 
I'm going to get emotional talking about this one because uh, Mike is more than a broadcast partner to me. He is one of my closest friends and a person that I wouldn't be here without him. It just truly, it just he gave me my first opportunity in Reading in 2017, and 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 then eventually when we were partners in Lehigh Valley from 2819 on. And what made our relationship so special is that I mean we were as close as friends as you could get. So when Mike and I put on the headset together, what folks heard was just our our everyday conversations. That's how we communicated with each other, and whether that was you know him calling me his giant man child or me making fun of you know, his love for me TV and, and Nash, like that was just, that's just our interactions. That's how we communicated with each other. And, you know, Mike and I, during the off season, we, we talk as close to every day as physically possible. I mean, I was actually just thinking about it when I was coming back in the car just now that I hadn't spoken to Mike in about three days since we've both taken on new jobs. And that was a little weird for me, especially at this time of the year, just because we talk all the time. So it'll be very weird for me that it's the first time since 2019 and it'll only be the second season of me working in professional baseball that i won't have mike as partner and uh we've been through a lot together we're going to continue to go through a lot together and you know we we got to celebrate with my wedding in october and and i think that was a really nice kind of like cap off for both of us was you know we we don't really get a chance to interact outside of baseball that much just because he lives in the lehigh valley and and I live here in New Jersey. So, you know, we don't really see each other that often away from the ballpark. So that was special for us. And it was special for me and, and Emily to, to have him there because, you know, he's meant so much to her as well. You know, we were seniors and juniors in high school when we are in college, I should say, when we first met Mike and then to, to where we are now um, in our relationship. And he's been a part of that the entire way. So, so Mike means so much to me as a partner, but more importantly, as a friend, because he's allowed me to grow as a person as much as a broadcaster. And I'm going to go on to, to New York and work with two incredible partners and, and the Met, future Mets Hall of Famer and Howie Rose and, 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 you know, Keith Rad, who's joining the broadcast with, you know, alongside with me this year, who, you know, the two of us at 29 and 27 or 30 and 28 that we're going to be when the season starts, you know, we have an opportunity to, to bring a new, young, fresh uh, perspective to the broadcast. And then we're going to pair that with an absolute legend in Howie Rose and that, it's going to be a really special time in the Mets broadcast booth, you know, and for me, the things I'm most excited about it is watching how we go about his business every single day. You know, he's been doing it for so long and he's been doing it at such a high level. So, you know, on the days where I'm doing pre and post and I'm just kind of sitting back and watching him and Keith call a game, it's, I'm going to learn so much during that time. And then use that in the time when Keith and I on the broadcast and, and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun season. You know, you talk about watching Howie and as you're about to realize your broadcast dream, I want to take you back even further. I want to hear about this 16th birthday present that you had where you took a plane flight your first time on the team charter, getting to hang out with some players and how that made you realize what you wanted to do and play that forward to today and where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So I've always talked about that as kind of being my aha moment of when I, when I really recognized how incredible of an opportunity it was. Uh, I'd always wanted to go to Wrigley Field. That was always my dream. And I finally got that opportunity when I was 16. And I can just remember watching guys walk back and forth on the charter and just being in such awe of them. And, and you know, as a, when you're an eight, nine, 10, 16 year old kid, doesn't matter how old you are, these guys are larger than life. They are everything. So, 
you know, to get a chance to watch them and then to go to Wrigley Field and, and watch Roy Halladay pitch in that game was, was really cool. And, and for me, I think that's when I really started to put into perspective of how incredible this opportunity would be moving forward. Uh, and from there, that's when that itch eventually became a fire. And, and now I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to get to do it, get to do it for a living. You know, you talked about that you're about to be able to learn from Howie Rose. You've, you've learned from one of the best in, in your dad. Uh, what has what the influence of your dad been on this career? Oh, just everything. Yeah, he has worked so hard to get himself to where he is. And, and I, I've learned so much just by watching him through the years. And, and, you know, we talk about broadcasting a lot. We do, but it's not what consumes our conversations. I mean, we talk about so much more about life. And, and I, I learned so much more from him as a father, as a husband, as a person than I do as a broadcaster. I, I just listen. I just watch when he's calling games. And, and he's really good about kind of taking a step back at times in terms of, you know, being constructive in terms of broadcast. Like, obviously, he gives me tidbits and he listens and he gives me ways to, to improve. But, you know, we so our relationship is so much bigger than that that I feel like I learned so much more from him away from the microphone and 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 so much of what I learned from him away from the microphone I take onto the microphone and that's what I use you know as part of my broadcast every single day so yeah we I've I've been so blessed I've been so fortunate to have him as a role model and as somebody that I emulate and strive to be every single day uh, that I I just if I can I tell people all the time if I can be five percent of the man that he is I will just be the luckiest person in the entire world because he's, he has set the standard so high for me. So uh, I strive every single day to be that person and, 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 you know, continue to meet the standard that he has set every single day. Well, when you listen to you both call a game, you don't just call a game. You, you learn while you're, while you're listening to call a game. And, and, you know, we're researching for this interview and I saw you wanted to be a Marine uh, marine biologist, I believe. Yeah. Your friend convinced you that wasn't going to work, but you went the history route. And I'm curious how baseball is sort of like teaching people history in your call and how you've incorporated yeah. those passions together for yourself. Yeah. I, you know, I, I remember doing the, having a conversation with somebody about that. One of my first years in Lehigh Valley is that I, I never realized how closely connected they are. And, you know, I, I, I love to know things. I hate not knowing things. And I love to read and I love to watch you know, YouTube videos on different things. And I love to listen to podcasts. And I, I, I love to just immerse myself with knowledge of whatever. I, I always joke with people that I take pride in trying to know everything about everything that nobody cares about. Because at any point that information could be really important in a broadcast. And I can remember being, it was 2019, it was a doubleheader in, in Indianapolis, and it was just the longest doubleheader of all time. And I started diving into a history lesson of the most famous people from Indianapolis. And it was, you know, who was listening at that point? I have no idea. But I owed it to them to talk about something outside of just what was happening in this 15 to 2, game 2 of a doubleheader at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So you, you start to realize that all of this information that you take in Somewhere down the line, it's going to be important. And, you know, whether I'm doing a history lesson on Charles de Gaulle's, you know, revolution, revolutionary ways of leading the French back from oppression during World War II, or if I'm, you know, telling people about 
you know, why Justin Verlander is throwing this pitch there or how he developed that. It's all the same thing. It's, it's the same concept. So I, I, I try to, to use that passion as a way to immerse myself in, in different fields. Uh, I'm reading a book right now on, on the 1986 Mets just to make sure that I have everything I need to know about Mets, Mets history. And, and because to me, there's nothing worse than going into a conversation and telling people you have an interest in something and then them asking you about it. And you're like, uh, I actually don't know. And so, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with somebody there asking who my top five presidents were of all time. My favorite presidents, not just best, like guys that I, I enjoyed. And I, I said Ronald Reagan was one of them. And he asked me why. I'm like, you know, I don't know. So I went and I read a biography on Ronald Reagan. Like I, I just need to constantly have things in my back pocket that I can use. And, and whether that's as a broadcaster or as a history teacher, it's, it's the same thing. So, so how long is it going to be before you walk Charles de Gaulle into one of your broadcasts? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'll have to see, you know, I have to make sure that it fits in in the right way. You know, I can, I can mix in Churchill if we need to, I can, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge world war two buff. Uh, and my, cause my, dis, you know, my, my college thesis was on uh, the impact that, film noir had on the reconstruction of post-war Europe. So that's where I really like had to like dive into. So you're ready for rain delays. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to have a conversation of why Orson Welles portrayed himself in the third man and in the role of Henry, like Harry Lyme, I'm, I'm all there for you. I'd be happy to have that conversation with you at any time during a rain delay. All right. Well, Pat, if you're looking for some history on 1986 Mets, you have to, if you have not watched it, watch Once Upon a Time in Queens. I, I've heard that there's a ton of great documentaries on it. Um, this, uh, 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 this book's been fantastic so far. I've learned so much just about uh, the, just the dynamic in that clubhouse. It was pretty incredible. I, I had read Keith Hernandez's autobiography back in 2019 Um and he spoke a lot about the 86 Mets, but I had no idea that the uh, cast of characters that were in that in that clubhouse at the time, it's, it's, really, it's been really fun to listen to. You know, we had Ed Hearn, who was the, the backup sure. catcher on that team on, and we, we asked him, how did the Met, that Mets team not win more World Series? And he said, yeah. no, the question you should be asking is how they won one World Series, <laughs> considering how dysfunctional they were. Um, you know, you have spent... You are, I think, transitioning from the minors to the majors at a time that you're going to be able to explain stuff to yeah. an audience that isn't going to understand it, except for people who are real seam heads, in that you've watched some of the changes, some of the things that have happened in minor league baseball are now about to happen in major league baseball. Which of the minor league rules that are being implemented in the major leagues this year do you think are you're going to be spending the most time trying to explain oh that's a great question um and i'll and i'll i'm just going to base it off of the conversations that i felt like i was explaining more than anything is during last year is when we first started implementing these at the minor league level i think the pickoff rule is going to it's going to take a lot of time for people to to get used to uh when the clock starts versus when it doesn't start how are how is Major League Baseball going to enforce these legal pitches? And what is an illegal pitch? What is a legal pitch? I think to me, those are going to be the ones that are going to be the take the longest to, to get used to. I think the shift is pretty cut and dry. Two infielders on each side, feet have to be on the dirt. That's pretty much it. I think the pickoff rules, when I've had conversations, and I've had conversations with this with folks in the big leagues last year, was 
walking through everything of what you can do in this pickoff situation. When does it reset? Because we had confusions within the minors last year. Guys didn't realize that if they were called for third disengagement, it doesn't reset like that. It's not just, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, I've used my third. All right, no problem. I can step off again. No, it's another balk. And we had it last year where guys stepped off a third time, got called for a balk, stepped off a fourth time, got called for a balk again, and didn't necessarily know why they were being called for a balk. So I think for me, those are going to be the ones that I'm going to have to kind of use as our, uh, when we are talking about these rule changes and how we, you know, how we saw them at the minor league level. And that's where, you know, for us in the Mets booth, that's where it's going to be really important is that Keith and I both experienced it. And Keith was in high A with Brooklyn where they even had more rules than we had in AAA. So he'll be able to help us out having seen the whole scope of things. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I mean, you guys know me, you guys know that I'm kind of a traditional baseball kind of guy. Like I like the game how it is and I've hated every rule implementation when it's happened. And I can honestly tell you that as I watched the game at the minor league level, it has improved the game dramatically. I, I, I think that there's ways that it, it, it needs to be refined, but I was never a fan of the place runner when it happened. I love the place runner now. I think it does a great, it adds so much suspense to extra innings. I think it's awesome. I was totally against the pitch clock. Having seen the pitch clock last year used in a way where it was enforced to the rule that Major League and Minor League Baseball had intended it to, it dramatically changed the pace of the game. And I loved it. And I thought it was awesome. So I think as, as guys get used to it, it's going to really help the game. I enjoy watching people's reactions so far to things. I think Alex Cora said the bigger bases look like pizza boxes. So I heard that. Um, I, I will say I, they looked a lot larger in the photos than I remembered them being last year. You know, we, we had them in AAA. Everybody joked around about it, like, "Oh, I didn't hear it." They look significantly bigger, and you wonder. Bigger. Like, I'm actually curious if you're going to have any more injuries in terms of that, because the distances yeah. people go, they've timed their runs out from the plate to stride and hit right on the base at a certain time. Yep. Like, you're going to have certain changes, and you talk about your co-host having called a ball. He says he's seen robo lumps down there, and in the yeah. the introduction of that into the game. So Jeff's right; you guys are going to be on the forefront of a lot of change in the way that baseball is played, which is going to require you as the broadcaster to make sure we understand what's going on. I don't understand when the when the clock resets or right. the balk roll, but you only get two throwovers now before a balk, and most people don't understand that. They're used to booing after the third one because it's delaying the game. So right. as a broadcaster, what kind of responsibility is that for you to know that you could have people that have watched the game forever that may not know the way this game this year is going to be called. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of nuances to the rule, right? Like, it's not just throwovers. It's step-offs. It's timeouts called by the catcher. It's, a, it's all these different things. Uh, hitters not being able to step out of the box as much. Like, there's going to be all these different rules that we are going to get need to go over, and we're going to have to pay close attention to it because there were that times last year where I might lose track of something and not realize that an auto ball was called or an auto strike was called. And in a big league game, that's huge. I, the implications of it are massive. And I think early on, I'm interested to see how Major League Baseball is going to enforce it. 
and how are guys going to adjust? And we owe it to those listening, especially on the radio. And in New York, radio is king. A lot of people are listening to these games on the radio where they don't necessarily see the count change on the TV. We have to make sure that they know, hey, an auto ball has been called here. Ooh, an auto strike has been called here. Here's why. Because in the minor leagues, eventually it was just auto ball called, auto strike called. And we didn't really have to get into it that much. We are going to have to explain, here's reasons X, Y, Z, why an auto ball was called here or why an auto strike was called here. Well, you know, one thing you're not going to have to explain is the Mets-Phillies rivalry. We are, yeah. we are in, a, in a time where Mets fans have always hated Phillies fans. Phillies fans have always hated Mets fans. But it never seemed like they were both good at the same time. You've now gotten to see the, the, the young players come up, contribute, make this Phillies team a team that went to the World Series this past year. And now you're going to be on the other side of that equation. How much fun is it going to be not only to be calling what now looks like a real rivalry, but calling it while your father is going to be in the booth on the other side of, of the park? Yeah, it's going to be really special, really special. And, and for me, it goes back to my early days of being a baseball fan in, you know, let's say 2006, 2007, 2008, when the Phillies and Mets for that three-year period were super intense in terms of how they were playing each other but for the last decade or so it really hasn't been that thing but just because the Phillies haven't been very good during that time the Mets made the run of the World Series in 15 but otherwise they hadn't reached the playoffs until last year we're talking about three teams right now in the National League East that all could contend for a World Series championship and all three made it to the playoffs last year and I don't see any reason why all three won't make it to the playoffs again this year you know the Braves only got better the Mets even with losing Jacob deGrom only got better. The Phillies got better. They added Trey Turner. And you know, it's like, we're, we are at a time in National League East Baseball where all three of the top level teams in the division are going to contend for a World Series title this year. September and October is going to be a lot of fun. And I feel like I've jumped on the bandwagon here, you know, joining this Mets broadcast team at this time. But it, it's, it's going to be a wild fall. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think these three teams are going to push each other until the very end. You know, looking at the Mets team, you mentioned that they lost Jacob DeGrom. People sit there and go, how can you replace a pitcher that is that good? Is the Mets rotation going to be just as good this year from what you think? I think it's better. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Watching Jacob DeGrom from the outside over the last two, three years, he hasn't really been on the mound consistently. And, and that's really been, you know, the hardest thing. And the news comes out earlier today that he's already experiencing some discomfort down in Arizona. So I, I think this Mets rotation is better than it was last season. I mean, you think about how good Tyler McGill was last year, and he is now just kind of an extra guy in this rotation. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, you know, the five starters, you know, Kod Isango, what is what is he going to be when he trans when this translates over? But he was a marquee international free agent signing to come on over here from Japan. So, you know, if Verlander and Scherzer are healthy, it's they're two of the top echelon pitchers in Major League Baseball. Two guys that are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, and you know we're talking about a forty year old pitcher coming off a Cy Young award where he looked like he was still 
the Justin Verlander of, you know, his early days in Detroit. And, and I think if Scherzer can stay healthy, he's the same type of pitcher. Uh, and then, you know, they, they add a guy like Jose, Jose Quintana as like an extra arm. So, and then Carlos Carrasco had a really nice stretch run in August and September. So I, I think you have the five starters and then you pair that with guys like David Peterson and Tyler McGill, who can kind of mix and match into that rotation to spell guys here or there. I, I think the Mets rotation, even with losing Jacob DeGrom, is a much better rotation than it was last season. You know, we've talked about it in the past. You not only call games, you played the game. Do you still, when you get to this time of year, you get to spring training, do you still wish you were out there? I'll always feel that way, I think, because I had such an incredible experience in college. And I had a group of guys that to this day, of the eight groomsmen that I had in my wedding, five of which were my teammates from college. And uh, I'll include my brother in that as well, because my brother was a teammate of mine in college, but you know, either way. So I had, I had an incredible group of guys that I played with that I would do anything to be able to go down to Florida with them for another spring break to play baseball together. Or so I will always have that itch because of the experience that I had and, and to, to put the pants on one more time and lace up the spikes and, I think about all the time just to, to play catch, like a, have a meaningful game of catch where, hey, I, I'm working on this, I'm working on that. I, I, I would do anything for just one more chance to do that. Well, in the meantime, we are thrilled that you got your call up to the Vigs, that you, you get to do this now uh, all the time. We're honored that we got to be a part of your journey a little bit along the way. And uh, hopefully during the season, we'll get you and your dad back on when the Mets play the Phillies and chop it up a little with you together, having a good time. Uh, yeah. Pat, congratulations, awesome. man. Uh, we're very happy yeah. for you. No, thank you. You guys have always been great throughout the years. And it's been a, it's been a fun ride. and looking to continue it. Jeff, I'm excited for Pat. I mean, we followed his journey a little bit. We got to work with him. We were doing our minor league show. It's a great opportunity for him to be with the Mets, to get his call up to the big leagues. And like you said, to get to call games against his dad, basically. You know, we, we've spent so many, so many years following the minor leagues. And it's not just about the players. It's not about the coaches. I mean, look. We, we've gotten to watch people like Dusty Wathen make his way to the major leagues. We've gotten to watch all these different players, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, make it to the major leagues. And, and now we have Pat McCarthy making it to the major leagues and, and, and being the pre and post game guy for the Mets and doing play by play. And it's, it's, it's exciting for him. You can see how much it means to him too. And I mean, you talk about somebody who's, who's worked the journey. We, when we talk to minor leaguers, you know, he had some of those stories. They they go on those those long rides too to to have to call games on the road. And they, you know, he dressed up in those costumes during COVID. He's somebody who paid his dues despite his last name. He did he had nothing handed to him. He worked for everything he got. And and he deserves what he's gonna get there. I'm looking forward to hearing him. I mean, he's got a fun radio voice. And like I said to him, I thought it was funny learning that you know, he wanted to be a history teacher because you hear that like when you listen to the game. He wants to teach you about what's going on, about the people that are out there, about why a play happened. And like we talked about with him, that's gonna be more important this year because a lot of people won't understand the rules. We've talked to a couple people about it now. It's gonna be a different game. Yeah, but for but for him it's not. And no, that's, that's the interest. The transition that he's making could not be better for 
quite frankly, for the Mets and the, and the fans who are going to listen to the games because he's seen those rules implemented and how it worked. And so he's going to be able to explain that to people who are going to be going, what the bleep is going on here? Yeah, he's going to be a resource in the booth, probably for players too, to say like, this is what it is. This is how, you know, he mentioned the balk. The Astros pitcher in the World Series who has that really long windup where he goes back and forth, that'll be a yeah. balk now. Like his whole windup is now well, illegal. To be fair, that was a balk before. But they didn't call it. And supposedly <laughs> no. they're going to now. And so you're going to have pitchers that are literally going to have to change everything they do from their windup to when they throw over, the strategy behind the game on when you throw over. And the first time that there's a balk in of a run, fans' heads are going to explode. Forget the fans' head, the player. I mean, because I remember seeing some of those games last year where pitchers did not realize why they were balking and kept doing it yeah it's... multiple times and, and and you're gonna see you're gonna see some classic uh, i'm about to date myself earl weaver type arguments between players coaches and umpires this year and i do not relish the many umps that we have spoken to over the years because they have to just enforce the rules and they are going to get the brunt of what happens when they enforce what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I'm curious when we get our next umpire on after this all changes, how it's going at the big league level. <laughs> Jeff, let's they leave. May, they may avoid the press for the time being. Let's leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.